Man's best friend, a worrying trend, wherein that hunting cry, fueled by a culture of Disney and Kauai, becomes ever more a whimper. How cute. What brute would treat their dog unlike a newborn? Not feed it from the same teat by which her own feet became petite. And boxed in apartment 117 on a plane of freshly fitted hardwood tiles, plasticine and plastic smiles, the toy dog yearns for grassy heaven to sprint and let loose hunting cries, a glint of daylight over civilized. Wow. I was trying to channel my like slam poetry a little bit. It was very slam poetry. It started out about a bit Alicia esque. Yeah, I was also trying to channel your rhyming. Yeah, your your obsessive (laughs) rhyming. So, welcome back to Soul Scene, everyone. This week, we're going to be starting off by talking about the domestic animal, the pet, and also the the plant pet of today, house plants. Sure. And before we start, we're going to talk about. Our zine, which accompanies this semester and talks about a walk through the wilderness depicted through artistic interpretations of how Aaron and I perceive nature. Yeah, varying mediums for each different landscape. Mm-hmm. And um, it has a somewhat lighthearted tone, I would say. Still, you know, dramatic as is the solo scene, but also um, maybe more comedic than the previous scenes. Mm-hmm. Still, hopefully, um, enlivening and enlightening but also just an easy read yes not not just an easy read but an easy read Mm -hmm. so you can find that zine you can buy it through the link in the description all the proceeds go to eco justice which is a cool thing about um ecological justice (laughs) exactly and also if you like the podcast you can watch us perform it every week on youtube youtube so a scene the full videos are there that being said Pets. Pets mm. in the solo scene and those, as I called them last week, lazy green pets. Lazy green plants. pets. I was trying to summon up that phrasing, but I couldn't remember it. I think we should start with house plants because they're such a trend. I'd say 20 years ago, the trend was, oh, it's our baby. But it was like a dog, a couple that was like new. They would get a pet and kind of treat it like a baby. Now... We've taken it a step farther, and your pothos plant is your baby, and it even propagates and has its own babies. So you have grandbabies. So hashtag plant father. Yes. Did you see me ever using that? No. No. You don't really hashtag much. That's true. Or post. Yeah. Or, or, <laughs> or plant. Yes. <laughs> but house plants have been around since the dawn of houses. agriculture. Houses. Yes, because they would have began as well, we're going to have some things growing near the window. It'll just be on the inside to help with the climate. And also just for decorating. It's a very easy way to bring color into a space. To spruce up your living space. Oh, exactly. Best of many. Because Best of many. <laughs> you'd build your house. I mean, we build our house today. All the walls are white. And you could create a pigment out of plants or out of today chemicals. But it's much easier to just bring the plants Get it from the source. Get the color from the source. So they've always been a source of decoration, but also have a history of being a little bit more practical. So you'd have your herb garden. Maybe you'd have a small pepper tree. We have one growing behind you on the floor that has little spicy peppers. 
So it'd be a little bit more useful. Yeah. Whereas now I feel like. Let me just interrupt because you say it's growing behind me in the floor. I would use the dying. word more decaying. Yes. Or <laughs> I won't embarrass you by lifting it up to the camera, but uh, it's not your finest horticultural moment. Yes. For sure. Our apartment's very cold. It doesn't <laughs> get any light. Well, that's what I was thinking for the solar scene. More evergreens inside. Mm. Yes. And very bright apartments and homes. Whereas right now, the average apartment in this city has probably one window, similar to us. Yeah. So it's not exactly conducive to living things, humans included in that, but living plants as well. But the plant trend really kicked off 2012, 2014 with Instagram and so on, because it's very aesthetically pleasing. Someone posts a picture of their New York apartment and there's just vines and trees and it just looks so cool and tactile and then with the pandemic when people were living at home and had a lot more time to tend to things the plant revolution picked up a little bit more because it was kind of like well what do I do with my time I can cook I can clean but we were having so much more time in our hands that plants were a very easy thing to exert that nurturing tendency of humans And there's also quite a plant community, as I was alluding to, which, as we've talked about before in the podcast, we really miss community as a society. Mm -hmm. So having such an easy in to a community through plants is very appealing to people. It's another way by which people can identify themselves. Mm -hmm. Hashtag plant father or whatever. I don't like plant mother. Plant mom is definitely a thing. Plant mom. Yeah. Yeah. It's a way that you can talk about yourself. Mm -hmm. I have a plant mom. And so all these other plant moms... We are like, without even trying, kind of like friends. Mm. So I guess that's kind of a good thing. I don't know. Let's talk about houseplants in the solar scene, though. Is there mm-hmm. any difference to houseplants today? We already said there'd be more sunlight. More sunlight. I assume people will have plants, as we said, they've had them always indoors mm-hmm. for the same reasons. They are lively, mm-hmm. bright. They have a cleansing um, aura or a placebo, even if it's not you know necessarily the case. Mm-hmm. They can be colorful um and also i think even in the solar scene like less so than today but most of our buildings will be straight lines and flat walls Mm. and something that's really nice about plants is that they are not geometric Mm. whereas almost everything else we live in is like laser cut our homes so it's nice when things just kind of sprawl and plants don't really have many straight lines and even often have some verticality like maybe there'll be a hanging vine or they'll just be taller than the average piece of furniture that you have, I think, mm-hmm. which is a nice use of space, getting into solar scene uh, interior design a little bit. But. Yeah. Um, but the reason we're talking about it in the nature series is because it's literally the only part of our homes that is natural in that we are bringing nature indoors. And in the solar scene, I think houseplants will be perhaps even more commonplace, but less of a collector's item, more of just a... As I was saying, you have an herb garden and you have these decorative plants, but they'd be cared for a lot more. Because plants are compostable, I feel like we treat them staring at the dying plant here. It's like, if it dies, it dies. It's not like it's plastic. It'll just decompose in the compost. Um, But I think in the solar scene, we'll care for our plants a bit more and perhaps just have more knowledge of how to care for them. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like there's a bit of a learning curve. And also, yeah, the climate in apartments, we actually, it's all, oh, it's just an indoor plant, it'll survive in there. But the climate inside apartments is very different. Sometimes the air is, you're in a city, so there's pollution, and then it will impact these plants. 
And most indoor plants are, well, in North America, are tropical because indoors is always warm, whereas outside here, six months of the years, they couldn't survive. Yeah. So I think it'd be a little bit more native to the area that you're living in. I think so too. If nothing else, then because in the solar scene, we'll be hopefully relying less on air conditioning mm-hmm. and um, like electric heating. Yeah. So things are a bit less completely steady. Like I don't think mm-hmm. we should be shivering through like minus 20 nights in the winter and, and the opposite in the summer. But there's a bit more of a gradual mm-hmm. change. Like you can maybe notice the seasons a little bit inside rather than just being one um, samey artificial laboratory-like condition. Yeah, I received at the end of the growing season for the community garden that gave me a piece of a fig tree. And they said it'll probably go dormant if your apartment's even slightly colder than outdoors. And it has, in fact, gone dormant. So it's like, if your apartment even fluctuates one to three degrees, yeah, your plants will also fluctuate and a cactus isn't going to survive in a 20 degree Celsius room the way that it would in a 24 degree Celsius room. And yeah, so I think the plants will be a bit more seasonal or local. And I want a hedge. I want an indoor evergreen hedge. Hmm. What do you think about that? Possibly it's because I, I foresee my future home looking like an Animal Crossing character's home where I it's see. like it's furniture, but it doesn't really make sense as furniture. <laughs> so it's literally like a topiary or just a pathway, like a hallway that's just lined with hedges. What do you yeah. think about that? Interesting. I like the idea of of evergreen things inside because like you said, it's almost always tropical, and that's because our conditions are usually quite warm inside the office or inside the home. But I think it, it's nice when there are like ferns and stuff like that. Things are a little yeah. bit more leafy and needly. I see. I know those two are opposites, but yeah, a little more <laughs> messy. Sure. I think the issue with those is the roots are much deeper, whereas with tropical plants, they have shallow roots. You can have hedges indoor, indoors. Yeah. You can have boxwoods indoors. Yeah. Cool. It's so, a big pot, but it can be done. <laughs> it's not exactly going to fit our apartment here. Maybe a future home. I'm going to slip in the organism of the week just because I think it's a good time to do so. Okay. So I'll show the image. You can name it and describe for the audience. It's a bonsai tree, I'm assuming. A bonsai tree, or whatever this wiggly... It is a bonsai. (laughs) (laughs) I know, it's not drawn very well. It kind of looks like a face. I didn't mean to do that. Yeah, it's a bit... It's like a Rorschach painting. Yes. But it has a very wiggly, bumpy trunk Mm -hmm. with a shallow, leafy foliage foliage at the top. And in a shallow pot, decorative pot. It's kind of code jack-o'-lantern-esque. Um... Yeah, bonsai. I, like many, was first introduced to this in the Karate Kid films. Mm-hmm. The bonsai is not a plant, so it's a little bit of a stretch for the organism of the week. As I frequently commit, bonsai is more of a practice. It's more of an art form. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like you bonsai plants. Mm-hmm. Some types of plants which are frequently bonsai junipers, okay. ficus, Japanese maples, jade, dwarf mm-hmm. jade. In the Karate Kid, it is a Juniperus procumbens, Okay. obviously. Yes. Um, have you ever wanted to bonsai? I feel like you'd be good at it. You'd, you'd enjoy it. I have wanted to, but I've never lived in an environment conducive to their survival. Yeah. I mean, you had a... was It, it wasn't a jade plant, but you had a plant kind of similar in this type of species category, and they're very finicky, which is kind of the practice. You have to really care for them they're kind of like orchids that it's like 
Mm-hmm. If you water it the wrong way, it's done for. So the bonsai obviously is a traditionally Japanese practice. Mm-hmm. It comes from the broader Chinese art of penjing, excuse the pronunciation, which basically means making whole landscapes in miniature. Mm-hmm. Bonsai is more about making a single tree in miniature, mm-hmm. which is kind of a cute idea. Oh, kind of like Animal Crossing a little bit like we were talking about. Um, it's over 2,000 years, years old. It's based on Zen Buddhism. And what I find kind of interesting, obviously in the houseplants discussion, there's kind of a contrast between this, what I would kind of uh, maybe in an over-general way describe as like a very Eastern practice and what we're describing about the hashtag plant mums mm. and the succulents, which is maybe a more Western practice. Yeah. Um, and it, I think it's best summed up in the admittedly shallow uh, Wikipedia list of bonsai aesthetics. So it says the key aesthetic elements are miniaturization, obviously, um, proportion among elements, obviously, so just not making it look like ridiculous, making it still look like a tree. And then these last three, asymmetry, which I feel like we kind of aim for the opposite almost. Mm. Think about also like a very seasonal houseplant, the Christmas tree. I feel like in my family always, we would try and shape it and angle it and sometimes prune it and pick one out that is as symmetrical as possible. Like that mm-hmm. was the aim. Um, no trace of the artist. So like it wants to look as natural as possible without any uh, mm-hmm. of the artist's hand visible. And also poignancy, which basically means that it should kind of remind you of or in some way symbolize wabi-sabi. What would you say? Like the profundity of imperfection, mm-hmm. asymmetry, and impermanence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whereas today in our houses, I mean, I used to have like a bajillion plants, so I can talk about this from a lot of personal experience. It was just like quantity over quality. Yeah. It was like, oh, I saw this marked down for two bucks. I'm going to get it and add it to my collection, and it's just going to be. Hashtag plant mom. Yeah, a plant mom. And then someone comes over, wow, you have so many plants. You must have a green thumb. But it's like you just bought them all. That's and they're going to die probably. I really was kind of shocked um, dipping into just a little bit of the rabbit hole of how intense or how kind of <laughs> how much of a science it is to bonsai these mm-hmm. because I thought that they were all like dwarf variants of plants. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, they're not. It's just the way that they're pruned, including the roots. And um, what did it say? Um, careful cutting and stress techniques used to make mm. them small and obviously the pot kind of limits their growth already. Yeah. Which is something else that I found interesting and why I drew the pot is because I feel like that's a, a big part of it, the way they're grown and displayed. Um, almost like the frame of a painting. Yeah. Whereas now, or, or maybe even in the scene, it's just like typically we're, doesn't matter what it grows in. Grow it in a boot. Grow mm-hmm. it in a mason jar. But there's a certain times there's there's there can be like a a niceness to putting a lot of effort into what is actually growing in. Mm-hmm. Not as important as the plant, obviously, but important still. Yeah, I see. So in the soul scene, there'll be a bit more bonsai, a bit less hashtag plant palm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's just about like it seems like they have a real bond with it. It's kind mm-hmm. of interesting. Some fun facts. Actually, one fun fact. Um, the smallest bonsais can fit on your fingertip. They're in like very, very tiny pots. Oh it's not goodness. really the kind of thing I like because it's like cottage core. Look, it's a cute tiny pot with a tiny plant in it. But I feel like you would like it. Yeah. Look up the pictures because they look like <laughs> edits or something. They don't look real. Yeah, They're I'll very, very small. up. Yeah. Um, Probably pruned with like a magnifying glass or yeah, a microscope. Definitely. Wow. Interesting choice. I thought you were going to choose the humble seal for the organism of the week because our next portion is about <laughs> pets. And last night we watched 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. 
and there's a pet seal in that. Yes. Um, I feel like the ethics in that film when it comes to how they were treating the animals is probably very, very far removed from anything I would condone. Right. But it was still, it was funny. But we can't mention the seal without mentioning the funniest part of the film, (laughs) which is when um, one of the characters lovingly, not in an abusive way, but the same way you pet a dog, he just slaps the seal a couple of times and it makes the, <laughs> the wettest sound on camera. And I just kind of went, mm, slaps it. Yeah. And it, was a, it was a funny moment. So people, if you want to watch the, I think, 1954, yeah, 1954 Disney, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, recommend it. It's a good movie. It is a really good movie. So pets. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lightning round to begin with that I okay. thought you could just, I'll just say them and you like, say what comes to your mind about them in the solo scene. Okay, in the solo scene. Parrots. Yes. A little bit more than that would be nice. <laughs> parrots. Okay, parrots in the solo scene, I don't think they're going to be any more common. Okay. I think they're going to remain highly right. niche. Mostly on pirate shoulders. Yeah. But so. I don't think they're going to be extinct. There's not going to be no parrots in the solo scene. Ants. More ants in the solo scene. Why is that? I feel like, oh, I'm going to give my kid a, a cat. Well, as I'll get to later, very big environmental impact and also might get abused. If we're being honest, when well, you give a kid a cat, they always pull at them. Oh, sure. They're not very nice You don't them. think they would squish the ants? The thing with the ants is that they are... You don't care about their life. No, they're going to be in one of those little ant farm terrariums. Yeah. So the kids aren't going to be able to abuse them. One of those like, food 2D things where you can see them making the tunnels. Yeah. It's like an educational thing. Yeah. It's like I talked about, I think I talked about it before on the podcast, once for Christmas I got like a Smithsonian set that had six different science-y kits mm-hmm. involved. Like this will be one of those. Yeah. Less a pet, more a project. I think there'd be more ants, more sea monkeys, those types of things. Okay, snake. Snakes. I think snakes are cool. I wouldn't have one. Too demonic? They're a bit, I just feel like they're going to bite you. Even if they don't bite you, I just feel like they're going to. Cat. Um, there'll be cats, but I think there'll be some slight changes in standards for owning cats. Bat. No bats. Bats scare me. Goldfish. No goldfish. Why not? I feel like the small bowl is not good for them. Horse. Yes. Monkey. No monkeys. Why not? Because I think, again, the animals that aren't... Okay. The animals that aren't domesticated like cats and dogs and horses... I feel like they shouldn't be kept as pets. Okay, rabbit. Yes, rabbits. Tortoise is the last one. Yes, because turtles are the most sustainable pet. Turtles and tortoises are two different things, though. Yes, I, I always get them confused. I know you do. That's why I kind of <laughs> mentioned threw it as a curveball. Um, probably no tortoise because they live to be hundreds of years old. Yeah, I had this stat, actually. <laughs> the oldest one, his name is Jonathan. Do you know about him? I don't know. has his Jonathan. own Wikipedia page. He's a Seychelles giant tortoise, oldest known living land animal, hatched circa... 1832. Isn't that crazy? That is bizarre. That's yeah. wild. They usually have an 80 to 150 year uh, lifespan, but he's obviously exceeding that. Yeah. There was one in Halifax at the museum there who just lived to be 100 or something. <laughs> I can't remember his name, though. But yeah. I wonder if he's on Wikipedia. Probably is. Um, whereas turtles, they live much shorter. Yes. But I think there'll be more turtles. More. There will be more amphibians and more... Like wizards? Yeah, I guess. I feel like I have a very strange, I don't think it's necessarily universalizable, 
my ethics on animals. Well, that's why I wanted to kind of uh, preface this conversation with that even though currently you and I are the Soocene, we are the, <laughs> the tyrannical, you know, rulers. Um, but also the citizens. So that... And also the citizens. But the Soocene isn't us. Let's put it like that. So mm -hmm. it's like we have opinions, sometimes somewhat idiosyncratic, and we should we should try and separate those from the Soocene. Yeah. Like if it doesn't have any impact on really well-being of anybody or mm -hmm. like a society's running, then it's just an opinion and it's not canonized in the Soocene. Yeah. Because <laughs> I know we, like you went on your dog rent a few weeks ago. I know you yeah. have like thoughts on pets, mm -hmm. but they're not always like um, thoughts that you think should extend to the whole society, right? They're just personal Certainly. opinions sometimes. Yeah. And I was thinking about this a lot this morning, strangely enough, that you bring this up, the preface of... It's like some things just are completely fine on the individual level, but the reason that I often will go off on tangents is I always picture things being taken to kind of the extreme of like everyone's doing this, every dog is being treated like this or every whatever, and I'm like, I feel like that's probably not good. Just like I don't think we should be tyrannical about people being vegan or about people not owning pets, but it's just like, doesn't mean I don't think people should, anyway, yeah. It's like there's a somewhere in between the individual and the larger society. And like there's lots that fall in between there. And when I was looking into the ethics of pet ownership and to kind of inform what I thought about the solo scene, it was a lot of statements from PETA, which is the Organization for Pets Ethics. And they, they their formal statement is that pets should not be bred for pethood. Pethood, yeah. But it's like, obviously, there's billions of dogs and cats who are just like, they're domesticated. So if you just release them in the wild, that would be unethical too. So it's like a lot of these PETA people, they have pets, rescue, rescues, but they also advocate against breeding. And I'm like, I feel like I fall somewhere in between there. So they essentially want to bring a gradual end to pethood. Breeding of pets. To breeding yeah. of pets, okay. But I think pets will always be exist mainly because people will have farms and people will perhaps just the pets will just kind of change a little bit i don't think having such i mean i i adore cats and dogs like i'm a big cat and dog person so it's like hard for me to say this but when i was thinking about it it's like i don't think i'd ever buy one that was bred i would just ever only ever rescue an animal yeah so i think that's always been my belief and i think that will extend to the solo scene and I feel like most people have that belief. Well, it's just like when we're talking about zoos. Yeah. But mo actually, most zoos now don't do the bread mm. for captivity thing. Yeah, exactly. So, because like most people would be like, yeah, it's probably not right. It's kind yeah. of the same with pets. Yeah, because there's this kind of, I mean, the way that they were describing in these articles I'm reading is just so extreme of like the power imbalance of like, they can't even pee without your permission. But it's like, it's kind of true. It's kind of twisted <laughs> when you think about it. But it's like... At least it gets radicalized by Peter. I know. But I also think... Having pets, like we have kind of chosen for ourselves not to have a pet while living in a city because I think you should be able to just like release it to go and play for an hour or two or to just be like, yeah, we're going to go to this big field. You run around, do your thing. Yeah, I basically made the points. So pets are fine. Like I, I essentially was like pets are fine. Like I'm not a big fan of indoor pets. Yeah. But I think that that is, as I said, more of an idiosyncratic opinion. Like there's nothing wrong with having indoor pets really. Yeah. I do think that they shouldn't be too disnified like i said in the poem and that they shouldn't be um like having birthday cakes every year that kind of thing like yeah. that that kind of like overly over coddling of them and treating them like newborns i do think mm -hmm. is a little bit wrong 
But I think for the most part, pets are fine as long as they are properly trained, obviously, um, have ample access to exercise, that kind of thing, which a lot of them living in cities don't. I won't say all of them because like some people, sometimes they do. And thirdly, that they're not bred. Well, I guess you could just say not bred, but especially not bred to be like the unhealthy breeds. You know, mm -hmm. those ones like I was reading about, there's a certain type of dog breed that's been bred so wrinkly that it kind of has like skin diseases and stuff. Mm -hmm. Very common. And obviously there's the breathing disorders, those kind of ones. Yeah. And the thing with people who are advocating against these types of breeding, you would then be like, the people who own these dogs, like, well, why do you think you should kill my dog? And it's like, no. It's like people who are saying these things are for the rights of the animals and for their well-being. It's like, we don't think we should go out and like kill a bunch of dogs so that there's not a bunch of them being killed in shelters or, yeah, they're just living miserable lives and we're encouraging it. And one more thing about pets that I was thinking is that we shouldn't feed them human food because there's people who don't have food. So it's just like, you should be giving them food. They need to eat. But I saw a stat that if there was a nation made up of cats and dogs, it'd be the fifth highest consumer of meat <laughs> in the world. So it's like China, the United States, yeah. Russia are like above it. But it's just like they shouldn't be eating human food. I think there's probably <laughs> just too many. There's just too many pets. Yeah. That's probably it. I mean, there were, it said, I have it written down. In 2020 alone, there were 5.7 million pets purchased in the UK. Yeah. Which is like this big. Sure. So. I mean, it has a lot of people, but yeah, you're right. But it's still kind of crazy. And there's, I don't know why all the stats I was reading were about the UK. I guess that was where the research was done. But it said every year there's two size, like the size of Great Britain times two is how much agricultural land is devoted towards pet food. And it's like, I feel like that's not right when there's people starving. I made a mini list of pros for pets, things that I like. These are actually really good. Kind of trying to convince myself a little bit mm -hmm. because, yeah, I feel like I'm probably in like the bottom half of people in terms of their, their opinion on pets. It's strange because they're both big way. animal people, but it's, yeah. Yeah, I think it's just that I've maybe had a few bad experiences with pets. Mm. But one is that they're real, like houseplants. They bring a sense of life to the home. They're non-geometric for mm -hmm. the most part. My dog was very flat and square, but most of them are, <laughs> are kind of rounded. Um, the other one is that they're good companions for children. They kind of introduce them to the natural like death. I think mm -hmm. a lot of kids probably remember the first time their dog died or something like that. And also, they humans and dogs, this is like specific to dogs, kind of evolved alongside each other. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of different theories about how humans kind of evolved, not from dogs, but like there was an influence of the way that dogs socialize or wolves at the time mm -hmm. to how humans did. I'm not sure how much stock there is. Like there's different levels that uh, the theories kind of put, put stock into it. But it, to some regard, like the man's best friend thing is, is legitimate. Mm -hmm. So I think, and they, they remind us a little bit of like the, that we're all like from the wild. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like you were talking about them having birthday cakes. I think in the solo scene, they'll be a little bit slightly less domestic like they will have a bit more activity to them. But even the most domestic dog, when you see them sleeping, it's like, and they start, like their tail starts going all crazy and they start like twitching. It's like, what are they dreaming about? Yeah. Life back thousands of years ago, back in the forest or something, mm -hmm. back in the woods, the hunt, howling at the moon. Like I want a dog that will howl at the moon. Let me put it like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think pets are great for humans' mental health and just, yeah, keeping us 
joyful. Yeah. Because it's like you could be having the worst day ever, but then you see a cute dog and you're gonna just But I like that sense of companionship. I think it's a nice yeah. it's a nice thing and it is like historically mm-hmm. uh present. It is an evolutionary thing. I yeah. made a little list of some literary characters who are famous for their pets. Okay. Harry Potter. Yes. So I've always been concerned about this. I don't know if it's a pothole or an inconsistency, because in the books it says, unlike Harry's Hogwarts letter, every episode obviously has to devolve into like the minutiae of, of uh, yes. Harry Potter <laughs> canon. It says um, students may bring an owl, a cat, or a toad. What's this rat doing? Yeah, what's again? the rat doing? <laughs> so I think she just forgot about that, or maybe it was like, well, it's a rat. It's kind of like a cat. Yeah. Or maybe they sensed that it wasn't actually a rat. Maybe. Spoilers for people who don't know about <laughs> Prisoner of Azkaban. But um, Hedwig, you know, that's a very loyal creature. Mm-hmm. I think having a bird would be nice. Yeah. I want an eagle. Something like that. Yes. Um, Nausicaa from the, from the manga and from the Ghibli movie. She has her little fox squirrel thing that kind of runs up her shoulders. I want something that's going to live like on my shoulder or something like mm. that. I placed a heating bag on your shoulder last night. Yeah. My thought was... I feel like this could be replaced by a small creature. Yes, if if you just put googly eyes on that, I'd probably be fine. (laughs) Did you ever have a pet rock, by the way? I didn't. I sold them once. Yeah, I made some and sold them at school. Entrepreneur. Yeah, that was my my one uh, profitable company thus far. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And the third one, Tintin or Tantan. Tantan, Snowy. Snowy, yeah. Yeah, I love Snowy. Because he's very spirited and has quite the attitude. Yeah, if you ever watch the Tintin movies or as you do read the books, Snowy is pretty much the only competent one. Like, just constantly bailing <laughs> Tintin out of de- genuinely life-threatening situations. Yeah, there was one where he just threw a stick of dynamite about to blow up the ship that everyone was on. <laughs> and Snowy found it and peed on it to put out the wick. And wow. then when they find it, Captain Haddock's like, ew, what's that? Then <laughs> Tintin just says, he did his best. As if it was like... <laughs> It's like he just saved your life. Yeah, he did his best. He's a dog. Um, yeah, Snowy. I love Snowy. And I love Tantan. But that was that's So I think we can <laughs> we can probably sneak in the second question of the day, which is a rather small one, which was about or it was small for me anyway, like my what I have for it. Um, kind of renaming the reduce, reuse, recycle mantra for the solo scene. Mm-hmm. Basically my answer was let's not do that. Because I think people don't respond that well to slogans. Mm. Like I feel like if Reduce, Reuse, Recycle came out today, people would be like, ah, don't tell me what to do. And to an extent, they'd, they'd have a point. It's like people don't like kind of being talked down to like that. I'm mm-hmm. not sure where Reduce, Reuse, Recycle came from. It might have been a grassroots thing from a more earnest time. I think um, it's from a more earnest time. Yeah, it's from the, the 70s or yeah. whatever. But, um, but basically, I think Solocene has the beautiful, sustainable, tactile thing. Mm-hmm. And that, the point of that is that it's rather comprehensive. Like. Mm-hmm. In terms of what do I do with this waste? Or should I buy this? Just abide by these three words. Mm-hmm. Kind of like that. Yeah, certainly. But what did you... Um, I was thinking a bit about just the the embodiment. Similar to you, it's not going to be like postured all over the recycling bins or anything. But I merged, there's the seven R's which have been developed somewhere in Canada. And then the pyramid of like consumption. So I kind of merged the two of those to make a new pyramid of thought processes this is a bit more applicable to today so the and it's going to be classified by red yellow green so it'll be like a stoplight kind of thing did you come up with that stoplight thing yes okay so the red so this even though is there's like, going to be no stink chariots in the solar scene so where yeah. are people going to get this archaic 
iconography problem. It's going to be just kind of a, a blast from the past. Okay. Well, I guess the buses will still have it. Yeah. <laughs> there might be stoplights for bikes. Um, so the red, before you even buy it or before you even like do anything, it's don't buy, certify, or DIY. So that's like the red area. So you have to think of these three things. So like in the solar scene, I think there'll be a lot more certifications. I mean, not even certifications, just policies. Like we should try and make policies and certifications so that nothing you can even buy would be non-circular or non-recyclable, but that's part of it. Um, don't buy it in the first place. Just like use what you have or DIY. So like, do I actually need this carrot peeler or could I just use a knife? Sort of thing. So for that certification thing, you're thinking about like a TV license like they have in England? A TV license? Yeah, like everyone has to own a TV license before they have a TV. I didn't know that. Yeah. But that that makes sense. Something like that. But they're in the solo scene, they'd just be a bit more... So that companies can't undercut because there'll always be someone who wants to undercut and use the plastic instead of using the um, sustainable, slower method. Um, but in the solo scene, that just won't be possible. So that's kind of what the certify means. The yellow is care, share, repair. So take care of what you have once you've acquired it. Share it with people. So it's like, oh, I need a dress for this party. Instead of going out and buying it, you can maybe borrow one from someone else and then repair, of course. Oh, I'm going to just throw this out and buy a new one. Just fix it if you can. And then the solo scene will have the skills and the things will not be built. So you have to bring it into a place to have it fixed. You'll be able to fix it yourself. Um, I heard about this new phone that is 100% repairable, which is kind of cool. So you can like order parts from it and then it's just easy to fix. And I would someday like to look a bit more into that if I ever need yeah if I ever need a new phone I feel like I'd look into that the way you mentioned that made it sound like you were starting a joke or something yeah you're like so I heard about this new phone that uh, (laughs) they say it's 100% repairable what about my iPhone yeah (laughs) I don't know no it wasn't a joke it was just a thought and then the green light of okay you have to get rid of it as the reason I chose green instead of going the other way is because green is still, I like the idea of green being a word for sustainable things, and that is compost, rehost, or post. Needs a little bit of explanation. So I think things that are compostable are like, there's always going to be compostable things, and I like when there's certain biodegradable and compostable like packaging and stuff for things, like it's made of cornstarch, but it has to actually be good compostable not just like oh it will biodegrade because anything will biodegrade if you leave it long enough but it has to actually be yeah thought out and compostable and rehost okay i'm gonna get rid of this instead of just throwing it out or even sending it back to the owner maybe you can just give it to someone else Mm -hmm. um who knows how to repair it or who would need it and then post is in the solo scene everything not everything almost everything will be circular so it's like you would then send it back to the owner if you can't compost it or if you can't rehost it the, or repair. To the maker. Yeah, and then Mail they... it back to Patagonia. Yeah, and then you're they will the redo it. Exactly. Let me try and recap all nine. Okay. Red light before you buy. Mm-hmm. Certify. DIY. Do not buy. Yeah. Um, yellow light. While you're having it. While you're owning the thing, I mean. Care. Share. Repair. Mm-hmm. Green light to at the end of life post rehost compost yeah it is catchy enough that you you cut on to it but yeah i just thought it was kind of a fun 
this was a fun activity for me of thinking of my own I could tell. life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounded like a limerick. Yeah. <laughs> and the final question this week is about the tea in the sustainable, beautiful tactile, the tactile. And Aaron wanted to talk about textures in nature. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this man loves to touch things. Yeah, I think I was inspired a little bit by this funny um, interview question. David Winch, the director, uh, faced once and they just said, what are your favorite textures? And mm-hmm. he, he just, off the top of his head, whisted. Like he, one, he sounded slightly affronted at the question, like how could you ask me to limit it to just a few? Yeah. Um, but secondly, he just had so many off the cuff that he was ready and they were all, oh, oh, some of them were rather obscure. Mm-hmm. Like he was like, teeth. Yeah. So I was kind of interested in that because we've talked a lot about the beauty of nature, obviously, and the sustainability, but maybe not so much about the tactility. And the way I envision the solo scene, like the podcast, when it's at its best, is making people like really feel like they are there, mm. living in that time. So I have five five favorite textures. How many do you have? I put ten. So. So I guess you say two. I say one. Okay. Number one, the first thing I thought of. And this is why I asked you if I could include smells. The rest of them aren't really smell based. <laughs> the kind of conversations but... <laughs> we have. The way you made that sound. And this is why I submitted that formal request asking if I could uh, include a smell. <laughs> That's basically our relationship. First one is tree resin or amber. So, mm. And the reason I love the feeling of that Sticky. is you never know how it gets on you. Yeah. You're just kind of like walking through the woods, then you smell it, and then you look, and it's just all over your hands somehow. And I love the texture of that because it just feels so naturey and so it almost makes you feel like you could do anything. So you're like, well, if I was in nature, I could use the tree resin as glue. Or like, I don't and know. Climb a, climb a tree with it? Yeah, it just it, makes you feel so sticky. So cool. And I like the smell of it. And also impossible to wash off. It won't come off. Yeah. Like, there's probably still some on me. <laughs> um, tree resin. Number two. Just say it. <laughs> I can't. I just read it and then was like, what was I thinking? Biting snow. <laughs> <laughs> when was the last time you did that? Probably a long time ago. Yeah. But I was thinking of my favorite textures and I was like, a feeling when you like make a snowball and bite it, it's so much different than anything else. <laughs> and I really like them. Do you ever walk around when it's snowing to tug out? I, I did that, I think, last week. Yeah, I don't do that too much. It was dark because though, so no one could see me. I learned about the fact that snow may be white, but it's still very polluted, um, especially in cities. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> so I don't bite snow anymore, but I still like the, the fresh, crisp crunch, is what I wrote. Those are my top two. Actually, I have six. I forgot about one. Um, I'm going to start not, I'm going to read them not in the, um, order that I wrote them, but from, from bottom to top of the body in terms of feeling them. <laughs> so the first one obviously is feet, mm. bare feet, obviously is my, my personal crusade for the service scene. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I wrote them all in, I think I've been feeling, just trying to get back into creative writing a little bit more. So I wrote mm-hmm. them all in little, little teasers like that, okay. um, little prose excerpts and largely in second person because... That's just the tense I think is best for the solo scene. So it says, You traipse from the sand, as warm and soft as if it was poured here, grain by grain, to ease your bare feet, to the dried-out knives of the aquatic plant kingdom. What a pleasant pain this is. How fine to pay the salty toll. And this one's about those those dried-out things that crunch on the beach. Mm-hmm. Dried-out seaweed or whatever. Yeah. That hurts a lot when you walk on it. It's very painful. Yeah. And what you is like it that? though? It's just algae or seaweed? It's seaweed. It dries yeah. out in the sun? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, those little crispy ones. Yeah. I feel like it's mainly just in Nova Scotian beaches because of the geography. I've never seen it on other beaches for I don't the know. most part. But yeah. It's the first thing that came to mind. It's the feel of summer to me. Very 
fair play. Caressing my bare feet, sometimes drawing blood. No, never okay. doing that. Foot on the topic of feet. I like mud, <laughs> mud um, yep. when you squelch it between your toes oh. and your hands. You just like squeeze it like this. Oh, no. If you're watching on YouTube. <laughs> She's squeezing her hands like, like there's this. mud in them. <laughs> and then when you are in the water at the beach and then the sand is so spicy hot or the stones are so hot. As soon as you step on them, you can feel your feet dry. And then they're kind of like stuck to the sand or like stuck yeah. to the stones. It feels like you kind of merge with them. What about that thing when you're on the beach and you put your feet in just where the water's coming? And so the water gradually comes in and like envelopes, mm-hmm. the sand envelopes your feet and in that like muddy suction noise. And then you have yeah. to pull them up with a big. Yeah. Anyway. Good stuff. ASMR um, episode. Yeah. Oh, that would be <laughs> disgusting. My next one is um, for the lower legs, the calf, shin, maybe the bottom of the knee. And it's when a dog brushes against it. Yeah. So on theme for the pet episode. So it says, our poor untouched shins, calves, and knees. Only briefly they know loyal warmth beyond the polyester pant as a panting pet walks by. The bristlier the better. Pass by again, young Fido, and don't forget to swish that tail. Because <laughs> I like when dogs kind of swish like the tail. The final... like, like it's a fan, like they're yeah. fanning you, like your royalty or something. Mm. Egyptian royalty. Yeah. You, you like it too when dogs brush I like by. when dogs brush up against you for yeah. sure. Um, I encountered the biggest, most just beefy dog ever the other day. And it was so loving. But it just was probably like three times the size of me. But it was wonderful. And it was like brushing up against me. But it came up to basically my chest. So. Do you agree with the bristly or the better? No, I like soft dogs. Okay. Strange, so that's where we... Um, yeah, that's where we differ. Yes. My next thing is cracking the puddle ice. Do you know what I mean? When there's like puddles or potholes... And there's that thin layer of ice. Like, it's not full of water, but it's like the water is kind of evaporated, but there's still a thin layer, and you get to be the one who cracks it. Oh, and there's no water underneath? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's such a nice feeling. Like, bang, bang, And I always bang. felt... I used to be like a, just going up and down my driveway on those mornings. Exactly, because you felt like, oh, yes, I'm the first one to it. My siblings didn't get to it. No other school kids got to it. Powerful. It's mine. Just shattering it. Yeah, always on the way to the bus. The downward Never, thrust. You don't really see those other than on your way to the school bus. The next one is... <laughs> When you're like camping or it's just summer and it's like, it doesn't make sense, but the dew on the grass is so cold. It gives you brain freeze. I really like that feeling. When you're camping and... Or you're just home and you go out into the grass barefoot for some reason. Barefoot, but how is it giving you brain freeze unless you're laying with your head on it? It gives you brain freeze. Sometimes in the morning when there's that dew or that... When there's like a first frost and you go out... Oh, yeah. It just gives you like brain freeze because it's so... It doesn't make sense that it's so cold. I think it's just you're so hot from the night then you go out and yeah it gives you brain freeze but i really like that feeling sure wakes you up um my next one is it's more of a tragic story because it's a texture that you can only really look at as soon Mm. as you try and reach out and touch it it crumbles Mm. and it's those old leaves that are so so aged Mm -hmm. that they just look like the finest like engravings on them you know when you can see every single vein Mm -hmm. But then when you try and touch it, like they're basically transparent. Yeah. But then when you try and touch it, it just crumbles in your hand. It's quite metaphorical, really. So it says, wretchedly delicate leaf, bringing forth in your soft spun weave my clumsy essence, dissolving in grip, I'm unpracticed to loosen. You are less a texture than a temporary viola for the fairies. Because wow. I imagine like a tiny fairy playing it like an instrument mm. with the small strings on it. I see. Beautiful. Yep. <laughs> Birch bark. Yeah, I've got peeling it. Peeling it. Then feeling that smooth. Destroying those trees. The inside of it. Peeling underneath. Yeah. Yeah. And I also 
said the feeling of feeding an animal and it kind of like touches you, but no. it doesn't really touch you. You mean with a wet tongue? A little bit. Wet, but also dry? It was like we were feeding squirrels once and it's like, they don't really touch you. Oh, yeah. But it's like the sensation of like the food leaving your hand or if their tiny beak or their tiny tongue yeah, touches you. Do you remember what you gave it? I gave it a pumpkin seed. Yeah. That we had roasted ourselves. It was very, it was a very artisanal gift to that squirrel. <laughs> um, but I really like feeding tiny animals because it makes you feel like you're a Disney princess. Yeah, and a giant also. Also, with the birch bark is when it kind of curls up, like when it's off the piece of wood. I mean, mm-hmm. when it just spirals like a scroll. Yes. And you open it, and you can read the ancient map inscribed. Um, my next one, I suppose, is for the for the hand, and it is. The inside of the almond, which obviously is a, a storied texture in the history of our relationship. Yeah. Um, one of the first things that we bonded over, really. This one's where you were cheating on me with an almond, if I'm being honest. <laughs> <laughs> How much we like the inside The way feel. you described it, yeah. Well, just wait. So it says, <laughs> so I wrote, to eat this whole like one of lesser taste, or even several at once, what a frightful thought. You, second person, you, a man as much of feeling as of hunger, must know for a moment what your enviable mowers ravage. Bite, snap, and trace that firm opal center with a lustful fingertip. You don't have to use lustful. We could switch out for something else. But <laughs> I just mean that there's such a... It's, it's sensual, really. So smooth. So smooth. Um, so pure white. And I was thinking about that wild almond that I had. It wasn't wild, but one I stole from that one guy's tree. <laughs> well, the goats were eating them. Yep. You kind of took one from the goats, I suppose. I did, I just... Took it off the ground. Yeah. Um, yeah, the wild almond. Or one that you picked up. I think off we're sounding slightly psychotic on this episode, probably. <laughs> I feel like also if you're watching the YouTube, we're just like, yes. <laughs> like we're out of slam poetry. When you touch said. the first frost barefoot and you get a brain freeze. <laughs> you know that? <laughs> we're definitely probably more sensitive than the average. When the algae draws blood <laughs> from your feet. Yeah, that's such a good feeling. Um, okay, speaking of the inside of something. Inside of a seashell. Oh, it's similar. Similar, similar smoothness. Very smooth. There's n- zero friction to it. Yeah, I love that. I just want to lick it. And finally, a warm downpour. I don't oh, like cold ones, but I this. like when you're just out and then the heavens just like there's like a clap yeah. and it just, phew, and then like there's that. an instant flood no. and you're warm and wet. Let me guess the smell of rain. Sounded like a high school literary kid at this point. I'm sorry. That's all my 10. Dancing in the rain. Okay, I have two more. Next one is for the chest, but really it's the whole body, and it is soil, mm. especially warm soil. When I used to work at a garden center, I would often just submerge myself to the to the elbows or to the shoulders in soil because I loved it, especially when it's warm. <laughs> I just, like, I, I, often I wanted to eat it, but mm. nobody else ever, whenever I'd say that to them, nobody ever agreed. But I'm telling you, if you know the smell of it and you know just the feel of it, it's not, I'm not talking about muddy soil. Mm. I'm talking about when it's kind of dried out. So yeah. I guess it's not the most naturey, but anyway. So I wrote, Perhaps it's the fertility, more probably the opposite, that knowing this will cradle me in death, I long to be submerged in it now. Sweet soil, for you I'd be a root. Fall on me in food-like clumps, get lost in the contours of my sleeves, and stain my fingernails forever. I feel like you just... (laughs) Yeah, I took this straight from a romance. You just became a different person when you were reading that as well. Your voice (laughs) dropped an octave. Hopefully this doesn't get us... I don't know. I don't even know what happens to podcasts. Reported, reported or something. Hang <laughs> down. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. And then the last one 
is just the most recent because yesterday we were out walking or the day before and it was just so cold and I didn't have anything on my face. And you were like, wear my scarf. And I was like, no, because I feel like there's a, there's a certain masculine pride about facing the cold wind unsheltered. So I wrote, step into Typhon's brutal forge unhelmeted. Let it make of your softness, pathetic purple ears, a real human face. Kiln. K-I-L-N. Because I feel like that's what the wind does. It's like we're soft until we go out in the wind and then it just sets you in whatever shape you're in at that mm. particular time, like a potato yeah, head. certainly. So those were your six <laughs> second person excerpts from your romance novel that sure. you were... Yep. Um, <laughs> now writing. Yeah, now writing. It's going to start with these six, the first six chapters. Um, I think that would sell for a lot, especially if you publish the audiobook. Yeah. Also, the way you're reading it. next week we should talk about um, evolution. We should okay. talk about, I'm not sure how, but I just really like the idea of fossils and dinosaurs and old creatures, extinct things, and maybe how it's, maybe how it's taught in the solo scene or, or just the relevance of it. I, I think know. it could be like the archaeology episode. Yeah. Talking about dinosaurs, yeah, but also talking about evolution and perhaps even artifacts. Because um, you, I feel like when you're a kid, you're like, "Wow, I found a shark's tooth," and it's just it's just a rock. Sure. But kind of that magic. Okay. Bye, everyone. Merry Christmas. <laughs>